Today's discussion starts in the Middle East with terrorism and problems concerning the geopolitical situation in the Middle East. But it may start there, but it's going to end up right in our own heart, right in our own front doorstep. And I think you'll understand what I mean in just a few moments. I'm reading from a recent news article. You can find it all over the uh, internet and alternative media. Mainstream media is not doing much to cover this. But I'm reading from an article here that says, According to recent Arabic news media, a Syrian nun testified to the Vatican News Agency that some Christians in Maulula were crucified for refusing to convert to Islam or pay Jiza, tribute, subjugating Christians, and Christians are required to pay this to their Islamic conquerors in order to exist, per the Quran's teaching. Incidentally, they were crucified by Al-Qaeda-linked Nazra Front, extra extremists. Sister Ragad, the former head of the Patriarch School in Damascus, who currently resides in France, told Vatican Radio how she personally witnessed jihadi rebels terrorize this town uh, by pressuring Christians to proclaim the Shihada, Islam's credo, that there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger, which, when uttered before Muslim witnesses, transforms the speaker into a Muslim, with the death penalty for apostasy, should the convert later renege by returning to Christianity. According to the nun, those Christians who refused to embrace Islam were killed in atrocious and violent ways that cannot be described. If you want examples, they crucified two youths, youths in this city, for refusing to proclaim Islam's credo, saying to them, perhaps you want to die like your teacher Christ, whom ye believe in. You have two choices, either proclaim the Shahida or else be crucified. One of them was crucified before his father, whom they also killed. In fact, according to earlier media reports from October 2013, soon after Malala, this city, fell to the jihadis, one shaky-voiced elderly Christian man had reported that he heard the invading jihadis shouting, Convert to Islam, or you will be crucified like Jesus. It is, of course, a documented fact that some Christians in Malala were put to death for refusing to convert to Islam, such as Minas, an Armenian man, while other families succumbed to the pressure and converted to Islam at the tip of the sword. But it is not clear whether the two crucified Christians mentioned by the nun are among the three men in this city who, according to Asia News, refused to repudiate their religion and thus were summarily executed in public. So many and varied were the barbaric acts, including beheadings, rape, and infanticide during the rebel occupation, not to mention the other massacres in Christian regions the mainstream media failed to report on. These three were declared martyrs by the Syrian Greek Catholic Church, or as Patriarch Gregorius III explained to Pope Francis in a meeting, quote, Holy Father, they are true martyrs. Ordered to give up their faith, they proudly refused. Three others, however, gave in 
and were forced to declare themselves Muslims, but later returned to the faith of their ancestors. When I read that story, the thing that stood out to me were these young youths, these two young boys, one of them crucified in front of their father. I couldn't imagine that. I have an 11-year-old son, and as I speak right now, he's sitting in our Christian school, studying, playing, maybe even goofing off, maybe even getting in trouble. But the fact of the matter is, I love that boy with all of my heart. And I could not imagine that young man being held at the end of a gun and being asked to either deny his Savior or die like his Savior. I could not imagine sitting there, being chained and held, while they took my young boy and crucified his body and hung him up in the public square. And yet for two young Christian boys and at least one father and probably many, 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 many more that we're not hearing about, that is a reality in day-to-day life. Now Maybe you're listening to this on your lunch break or maybe you're listening to this at home. I don't know where you're listening to it. But when we hear stories like mass rape, mass kidnapping of young girls, crucifixion, atrocities, death, the killing of babies by Muslims, and all that I have just mentioned, it is really, really, really hard, if you're not careful, to make these kind of awful scenes to be a reality to you. I believe it was Stalin who said, if you kill one man, it's a tragedy. If you kill 10,000, it's a statistic. We hear something like I just read, and it seems tragic, distant, and unreal. But I believe that as Christians, and as anyone with any bit of common sense, it's important for us to let these kind of events sink in, and to start thinking rationally, to start thinking biblically, to start thinking with correct thoughts. Because I'm going to tell you something, folks. For many, many, many years, and even many generations, we have been insulated from this kind of world that is out there. But our insulation from this kind of stuff is growing thinner and thinner by the day. And the reality is, the weak need, average Christian that sits in the average pew of the average church, is just not prepared for the kind of struggle, the kind of hardship, and the kind of suffering that may be just around the corner if the Lord tarries is coming. And I'm going to tell you something and be real honest with you. I don't know that I'm prepared for that. I don't know. And I'm not going to sit here and and uh, beat my chest and bang the war drum and say, you know, bless God, if somebody came along and said, we're either going to crucify your boy or deny your Savior. Listen, I don't know what I would say. But I do know this, I can't wait until that moment to start disciplining myself as a Christian. I can't wait until that moment to start thinking and to start praying and to start living by grace. You better be living by grace and you better be a seasoned, hardened, disciplined Christian soldier before those times come. We got a generation today that's just very, very thin-skinned. They live insulated behind their middle-class suburban home behind their two cars and white picket fence, insulated behind their softball programs and soccer programs and basketball programs and Awana and Sunday school, 
their small groups on Sunday night, our praise team and gospel cruises and bookstores and conferences and all the rest of the things that we have, the reality of the matter is the average Christian is not prepared for the reality of the world that is out there. It is high time that we as Christians somehow begin to break free to some degree or another of this kind of false sense of safety, this false sense of insulation and isolation from the reality that many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are facing. Now, in reading this story, there are several thoughts that come to my mind, and I simply just want to point them out to you. The first thought is this. The Middle East is a stinking, steaming pile of sewage. It has been in turmoil and chaos for 4,000 years. It is in turmoil and chaos now. And if the Lord Jesus Christ were to tarry his coming for another 6,000 years, it will continue to be in chaos and in turmoil. There is no hope. There is no road to peace. There is no peace process that is going to work until Jesus Christ returns. That's not just a statement against Obama. That's not a statement against the Clintons or Bush or Republicans or Democrat. That is a statement of biblical, spiritual fact. No one has the answer to the problems in the Middle East except Jesus Christ. And the fact of the matter is, all we have done over the last 10 to 15 years is stick our face in a hornet's nest and wonder why we keep coming out stung and swollen No one is more free today over there than they were a decade ago. No one is safer today in our country than we were a decade ago. Democracy has not taken root. Terrorism is not on the decline. I mean, every patriotic lie and every patriotic exaggeration that we have been told and sold has completely fallen through. Now listen, I'm a red-blooded American. I'm a patriot. I love our armed forces. I'm proud to be an American. I love our soldiers and our sailors, our airmen. I thank God for the sacrifice that they have made. I grieve over the heartache that many of them go through even today, their families, the suffering. But I'm going to tell you something. I am absolutely sick and tired of war hawks, new world order leaders, neocons, and a host of others using patriotism and pseudo-Christianity as a shield to hide behind their uh, world manipulation and world shaping. We don't have any business being over there. If there was any public policy, if there was anything that we were going to do, it might be to park a USS carrier group off the coast of the Mediterranean by the shores of Israel and let the world know that we back Israel bar none, Uh, unequivocally, without exception. But the fact of the matter is, we don't even need to do that. We don't need to be in their business. We don't need to be involved in Israel's business. We don't need to be nation-building in Iraq, nation-building in Afghanistan, involved in Libya, involved in Syria, involved in Egypt. It is a hot pile of mess and garbage and filth, and we need to be out of there. The wars that we have been through under Bush... And the wars that we have been through under Obama have bankrupted this nation, have bled this nation of some of its most valuable treasure, the life and the limbs and the sanity of our precious soldiers, and it's just high time that we get out. 
And it's almost as if, no matter what, if you're a conservative, you have to support war. You have to support. You know what? I, I don't. I support defending our shores. I support defending our vital national interests. Otherwise, we need to be out of there, period. We are not going to win. Afghanistan is just as bad today as it's ever been. Iraq is just as bad, if not worse, than it's ever been. Uh, There is absolute chaos in Egypt. There's absolute chaos in Libya. There's absolute chaos in Syria. It's about time that we get out and realize that we can't solve the world's problems. I'm not talking about being an isolationist where we stick our head in the sand and don't deal with issues. But good night in the morning, man. We are running around trying to tell everybody how to do their thing and how to have democracy. Listen, the reason that democracy works in this country and the reason that our system works in this country is because it was founded on morals. It was founded on a Judeo-Christian, Bible-centered people. And you cannot have true democracy and true peace over in the Middle East unless they were to embrace what we have embraced. And it ain't going to happen. And what you're dealing with over there right now is a religious war. So it's high time we get out of that mess. That's my first thought. My second thought is this. Islam is not a peaceful religion. No matter what anybody says, no matter what anybody thinks, no matter what anybody wants you to think, the only is the only Muslims that make it a peaceful religion are the backslidden ones or the ones that twist the truth. But anybody who reads carefully the Quran, anybody who listens carefully to their leading imams, anybody who listens and rightly understands Islam, rightly follows Islam, and rightly practices it, is wicked and violent and contrary to anything Christian and contrary to anything that is Western civilization. If you want to know what a true follower follower of Islam looks like, go back to 9-11-2001, look at those 19 hijackers flying those planes into the World Trade Center, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is what a true follower of Allah looks like. That's what a committed Muslim looks like. Violent, wicked, ugly, anti-Jew, anti-Christian, anti-Western civilization. Now, there is a conspiracy in our nation. There's a conspiracy today in the press. There's a conspiracy today in the colleges and in the field of academia. There is a conspiracy today in the Department of Justice and many of the bureaucratic and executive branches of our government. There's a conspiracy in the legislative branches of our government. I believe there's even a conspiracy to some degree in the judicial arena. But from the White House right on down, along with CARE and Muslim Brotherhood and many other offshoot organizations, there is a conspiracy to hide, to dumb down, to water down, and to temper the true nature of what Islam is. Islam is a violent religion. Islam's goal is the destruction of Israel. Islam's goal is the destruction of the United States of America. Islam's goal is the destruction of Western civilization. And anybody who doesn't see that doesn't want to see that.
I mean, we got to be honest here for just a minute. I'm tired of having to wear loafers and an easily unhooked belt every time I go to fly on a plane. I'm tired of standing there watching some 90-year-old grandma get pulled out of line while the guy in front of me with dark skin, a beard, and a turban, he walks right on through. When white Anglo women, when white Anglo men, uh, when Hispanic, when uh, Scandinavian, when French, when Australian, when those seem to be the predominant bombers, I say we start profiling them. But the predominant terrorists have two things in common. Most of them come from the Middle East or have been trained in the Middle East or are connected with the Middle East. Secondly, they're all Muslim. They're all Muslim. So the fact of the matter is, this idea that somehow or another Islam is a peaceful religion, but it's been hijacked by a few fundamentalists, that is the biggest piece of lie that you could ever come up with. And any academia, any politician, and anybody who mimics that is either stupid or lying themselves or they're stone-cold crazy. Islam is not a peaceful religion. Now I'll give you another thought. And here's where I want to take this issue of what's going on. And we read about the boys that were crucified. We read about the issues going on over with uh, the problems in the Middle East. And I want to take all these problems and bring them right back to your front door. Right back to the very car you're sitting in. Your very heart. Your very life. And that is this. As Christians... We are not and have not seen God's power in a long time. Now, I'm not going to get into a diatribe of what I mean by that. But let me simply just say that any Christian with any spiritual IQ at all knows that we are lacking severely in the power and the presence of God in our homes, our churches, our youth, our school, there's just not a lot of God's power and presence. Now, there's a lot of issues that contribute to the absence of God's power. But for this discussion, if I were to boil it down to one thing, I would say it is this. There's an absence of the power and presence of God because there's an absence of Christians willing to sacrifice. Willing to sacrifice. And do what the Bible says in Matthew chapter number 6, where Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. No sacrifice, no power. You see... There really is no way that you and I as American Christians can truly live on the level and the experiences as other Christians do around the world. For better or worse, we are blessed beyond measure. And it would be foolish, unless otherwise directed by God, for you to run out and sell your home, get rid of your retirement, get rid of everything and eat next to nothing and sleep on dirt live the way many others in other parts of the world do. That, that would be an extreme, out-of-balance reaction. However, 
I think sometimes we use balance as a way to self-deceive. We use balance as a self-delusion. We, we, ladies and gentlemen, we're nowhere near out of balance. You don't have to get rid of everything. But the average Christian in the United States of America, you, sir, you, ma'am, me, have never even really touched sacrifice. We think somehow sitting in church and letting the preacher preach five minutes over without us getting an attitude and splitting the church, that's sacrifice. We think somehow or another we do little things and volunteer here and there. And boy, we're really sacrificing for the cause of Christ. I don't think so. I don't think so. We only give what won't hurt. We only do what won't inconvenience. We only live so as we can easily go on with our business. The sad fact is, is that most Christians are absolutely unwilling to sacrifice at all. I'm not talking about big things in big areas. I'm talking about sacrifice in small areas that would make a big difference. Are you willing to go to India? That's not the question. Why can't you go out of your way to invite a neighbor to church or talk to them about their salvation and relationship with the Lord? Are you willing to be crucified for your faith? That's not the question. The question is, are you willing to go out once a month with a church team to do some door-to-door evangelism and witness to people? Are you willing to give all your worldly possessions and go to the mission field? Well, how about just giving an extra $50? How about giving an extra $25? Are you willing to work with the lepers in Calcutta? How come you can't visit someone in the hospital? How come the sick and the needy, those have been delegated over to preachers and to senior adult pastors and to youth pastors? Because, see, they get paid to do that. We've got to go to Disney World. We've got to go fishing. We've got to go to the gun range. We've got to go shopping. We've got to mow the lawn. We've got to wash the car. We've got to go meet with our family. We've got to sit around and watch TV and movies all day long. We don't have time to be Christ-like. Christ-likeness is what we do for one hour at church if we're lucky. We, we don't have time to actually go live our faith in the marketplace. We don't have time to actually go out of our way. We'll give you a little bit of time on Sunday, but it better be really, really entertaining, really, really good, not cost me very much, not disturb me, and make me feel really great and send me on my way. Visit the sick? Not my job. That's the pastor's job. Are you willing to stand and give a defense of your faith before Muslim tribunal or Chinese government review board. Now how about just taking a stand down on the job when somebody tells a dirty joke? Could you do that? How about just standing up for the cause of Christ by the water fountain? Or how about just writing a friend that you know is lost? Are you willing to give your last piece of bread in a prison camp while you and your friend are dying? But in the name of Jesus, you suffer through the cause of Christ and give them your last morsel of bread. No, that's not the question. The real question is, how about, uh, how about taking that new family in church out to lunch? Oh, I know that they're not on your social class. Yeah, I know they're a little weird. 
I know they're a little different. They might not dress according to your church mob. They might not carry the exact right Bible. They might say, you know, hot dog instead of amen. They might clap when they should be praying and praying when they should clap. I understand all that. How about a little Christian love that way? Are you willing Are you willing to be part of an underground church? Are you willing to be involved in the underground church in China and Sudan, Venezuela? Hmm. How about just being conscious and caring enough to have gospel tracts and leave them in a restaurant? How about uh, just walking across the street and talking to your neighbor, inviting him to church, talking to him about the Lord? See, the fact of the matter is, we can't sacrifice in the little things. We can't sacrifice in the little things. I don't want to ever have to see my son crucified. I don't want to ever have to see my wife suffer some of the things that may be done to other Christians in other countries. I don't want to ever have to suffer myself for the cause of Christ. But I'll tell you this. I'm not going to wait until the great big sacrifices are called upon to be made. If we want God's power and we want God's blessings, we better learn how to sacrifice now. And it starts by making little sacrifices in little areas that make a big difference. As you go into this weekend, if you're listening to this, I I record this podcast here on a Friday. Maybe you're listening to it on a Monday. Maybe you're listening to it on a Saturday. Maybe you're listening to it on a th- the Thursday night. My question is, in the next 72 hours... What will you sacrifice for the cause of Christ? Can you sacrifice that Big Mac and give the money to missions? Can you sacrifice your own time and energy to maybe spend time with somebody else? Can you sacrifice your own embarrassment and your own self-pride to hand somebody a gospel tract behind the counter of the store you're in? A young man was told, Convert to Islam. Or die like your master. And that young man said, I will die like my master. I wonder what we would say. I wonder what we would say. I wonder if we're willing not to sing songs in church, not to tip God with a little bit of offering, Not to have a cute little cuddly small group Bible study. I wonder if we're really, really willing to stand next to these kind of Christians around the world and say, I will die like my master.